West Virginia is finally able to get one of their many transfer portal entries to stay in Morgantown. What does Jose Perez' decision to stick around mean for the Mountaineers next season? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, folks, welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a five times per week national college hoop show, part, of course, of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are your co-hosts. I'm Andy Patton. He is Isaac Shade. Happy Monday, folks. We are talking about West Virginia once again here to lead off the show. Jose Perez (laughs) enters the transfer portal like so many of his teammates out of West Virginia shortly after the Bob Huggins. Uh, The second Bob Huggins incident of the offseason resulted in his termination we're just going to leave it at that because there's still some kind of wonkiness about his actual employment status at West Virginia but uh, regardless Perez was one of the players in the portal and of course a a player who's had a a tumultuous college basketball career to say the least he has been in many situations where he's seen his coach lose his job uh, has been at multiple different schools Gardner Webb Marquette he was at Manhattan and he was at West Virginia last year but he was not able to play All sorts of shenanigans going on for Jose Perez, but now he finally makes the decision to stick it out, to stay in Morgantown alongside Kirk Creesa, alongside Jesse Edwards. They're two big additions in the portal. Raekwon Battle comes over from Montana State as well. And and really, we're looking at a team that, after all of this, as the dust has now finally started to settle, it still looks like West Virginia is going to have themselves a pretty solid roster, especially with Perez coming back into the fold. Is Is that where you're at with this team, Isaac? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's funny. I feel I feel better about West Virginia's prospects than mm-hmm. I, I than I think I do about Perez himself. Mm-hmm. And part of that, Andy, is just because, like, first off, I just feel so bad mm-hmm. for this young man. Like, mm-hmm. he's just been through it through mm-hmm. no fault of his own, like circumstances. And so, honestly, I don't blame him for sticking around. Yeah, uh, like it could be Steve Urkel coaching this team, and I'd be like, "Dude, I'm not moving again. Yeah, right? Sticking it around." Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think w- the reason I say that is because I just don't know what to expect yeah. from Perez. As we look at the, each of those stops, his two mm-hmm. years at Gardner Webb, he averaged 15 or so points a game mm-hmm. both of those seasons. At Marquette, didn't play as much. Didn't. Yeah score as much you know like just didn't do this much of anything at marquette i mean if we're being yeah. honest you really didn't and, and then manhattan dude mm-hmm. was like 18.9 points yeah. 3.2 rebounds and 4.5 assists per game shooting 80 percent from the free throw line but it's like when you suss that out and you're like okay but what did he do when he was at the power six conference mm-hmm. level that the only year was marquette And just wasn't much there. Now, Mm -hmm. is that a circumstantial thing? Is it he wasn't ready? Is you know there? I just I don't know what to make of that. And since we didn't get to see him last year at West Virginia because his waiver wasn't was denied, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hopeful that that what he did at Manhattan was um, predictive. That's the word I'm looking for of what Mm -hmm. he'll do at West Virginia. But I just don't know. I I. I mean, he's such a big guard. He's 6'5", 210. He's not a shoot. You know, it's very Ben Simmons-y where he's got all that all that height but just can't shoot to save. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that year at Manhattan, it was 25.9% from three on 3.7 attempts a game. And so it's like this day and age, you got to be able to put the ball in the basket. And 
Andy, what, what I'm curious to see again, and this is another reason why I'm maybe higher on West Virginia than Perez himself is that they've got all of these guards returning all these mm-hmm. or not necessarily returning, but you know, they're in Morgantown, I mean, all mm-hmm. of them big dudes. So, um, I mean, you'll, you just look at this list and they've got six guards who are six, three or bigger, three of them, including, uh, Perez who are six, five or taller. And so really curious, uh, just to see how that backcourt shapes out for Josh Eilert. Again, we've talked about what a tough thing this is going to be for him having to take over after all the hugging stuff, but man, he has a very full backcourt and I'm going to be really curious to see how he divides up all those minutes. Yeah, worth worth pointing out. I was looking this up real quickly while you were while you were chatting there. Uh, Jose Perez only played ten games at Marquette. I knew it was a small amount. I wasn't. I didn't realize it was that few. So he, I, I don't know if there was injuries there, but uh, only played ten games. So the sample size there is, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily worth looking too far into. That team was pretty stacked. That Marquette team had Jamal Kane. They had Kobe McEwen. They had DJ Carton, who was a top forty prospect right. uh, in his sophomore year. All those guys averaged around 10, 11 points per game. So. You know, hard for him to crack a rotation there, but it is interesting to look now. He's on this West Virginia team that also has a fair amount of guard talent in front of him. Uh, You know, his shooting woes are still really prevalent. And I think, you know, uh, Gonzaga was heavily pursuing him. Uh, We'll talk about that momentarily, but (laughs) looking at him in a sense as a Malachi Smith replacement. And Malachi Smith, of course, averaged 20 points per game at Chattanooga. And you look at Jose Perez, see 19 points a game at Manhattan, six foot five guard. And you kind of think, oh, there are a lot of similarities. There's a huge difference, though. Malachi Smith was a 40 percent three point shooter. Exactly right. Yeah. Dominant role at Chattanooga. He came to Gonzaga and shot 50 percent because suddenly he was not, you know, the opposing team's focal point. And, and, And this has happened at Gonzaga and a bunch of other schools in the past where low major players who have ball dominant roles transfer to bigger schools where they're they are no longer in that kind of role and some guys don't adjust to it very well and some guys do like we'll Uh, see what happens with max aceness would be a great exactly exactly right and 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 certainly like aceness is still going to have a a pretty significant role in texas's offense but when you see guys who are kind of having to adjust to being more off the ball and coming off the bench and at least in smith's situation at gonzaga like some guys adjust to it well some guys don't jose perez had an entire year where we wanted to see what that would look like. And the NCAA took it away from us because they deemed him ineligible. So now he's not only a guy who was really dominant in that role at Manhattan and is now adjusting to what that looks like at West Virginia. He's doing it after having taken an entire year where he wasn't able to play in game situations. It's a really unique situation. It is unique and unfortunate for Jose Perez because that was not his fault that that decision was made by the NCAA transferring when your coach gets fired is pretty typical, pretty standard. It's surprising that that went the way that it did, but (laughs) now we have this player who is kind of, it's hard to know. He's also going to be playing for a different coach, not the coach who necessarily recruited him to be there. So there's just all sort, you know, he came to Morgantown before Kirk Creaso was there before Raekwon battle was there. Like this is a completely different situation than what he initially signed up for. It's great that he wants to stick it out. Hopefully that means he feels confident about what he can bring to this team, but I'm with you, man. It's, it's as big a guess as, as anybody right now, what he's going to look like next year. And that's a, that's a great point, Andy. It's like, uh, it is his last year in college. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if he didn't feel at least some level of confidence in what that role will be 
he would have pieced out. I, you know, I'm right. obviously speculating, but I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go somewhere for my last year at college where I'm going to sit the bench. And so he's got to feel like he's got a role. And as, as you said, in the cold open, uh, West Virginia had five players enter the transfer portal after the Bob Huggins stuff. He's mm-hmm. the only one who's coming back. We speculated right after that, like mm-hmm. uh, a- after that happened with Bob Huggins, like, mm-hmm. Hey, it makes sense for all of this team to enter the transfer portal just to mm-hmm. check out what's out there. And right. I wouldn't be surprised if s- several of them came back. Mm-hmm. None of the rest did. Joe Toussaint ends up at Texas tech. Mm-hmm. Mo Wagi ends up at Alabama, James Aconquo at North Carolina and Trey Mitchell. Kentucky is glad they got him boy and um so now Andy here's the thing let's let's kind of project forward with West Virginia they've now got 11 scholarship players in this day and age like I know Mm -hmm. you can get 13 the majority a a lot of teams are not using all 13 and so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Eilert's like all right we're good we got what Mm -hmm. we need so Andy my question to you then how do you, how do we feel about this roster and what yeah. they will or could do in in a, a new look Big Twelve? Well, I think one thing that we didn't we mentioned in passing on Friday's episode with Tristan Freeman is the the addition of Quinn Slazinski, who comes over from from Iona. I guess he came over from Iona via via St. John's. At St. John's. <laughs> um, he ended up not staying sticking around at St. John's after they added Chris Ledlam from Tennessee, who also didn't actually play at Tennessee. Seen a lot of those these days as Oof. well. Um, Slazinski was uh, Tristan laid out a really good argument, basically saying we're not sure that he's great necessarily, but finding power forwards is really hard, hmm. and finding a a power five capable power forward in late July is nearly impossible. And so for West Virginia, for a player like that to become available after they lose Trey Mitchell, who was really valuable in that role after they lose Mo Wagi, who, you know, it was not really a power forward, but was another big that they lost out on going and getting Slazinski is huge. I don't know that he's going to be elite for West Virginia. I think he's going to be fine, but they needed depth at that position. So and they were adding him forward too. Yeah, to be able to add him when you manage to keep Edwards, keep Creesa, keep Battle, uh, keep Perez, uh, add Bembry. Like, this is a team that I think, again, the Big 12 is going to be really, really good. Is this roster going to contend with the top four or five teams in the conference? My guess is probably not. I think they have some good pieces. I think if you you maximize the player that Kirk Creese is capable of being, that's going to significantly help you. If Raekwon Battle proves that he can play, you know, a similar role at a power six program that he did at Montana state, that certainly helps you. But those are big question marks. Those are big ifs. Jose Perez, as we've just laid out is also a pretty big question mark. This roster finishing near the very bottom of the big 12 would not surprise me. But it wouldn't even necessarily mean that they're like a horrendous program. This is a really hard conference. I think there are some teams in the conference that they're capable of beating. I think that on paper, they look like a better team than BYU. I think they look like a better team than Cincinnati. Uh, But there's going to be it's going to be a challenge. I think this team's going to be good. I think they're going to do well in the non-conference. But I think they're going to they're going to face some significant challenges in the Big 12. Uh, And that's just this part of the deal of being in that conference. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, and Andy, it's a great moment to say to everyone, like one of the things we're going to be doing this off season, this is our first off season, by the way, yeah. is that we will be doing some conference previews kind of weekly leading up to the season. And so we'll kind of have our, our more like power ranking look at where we think West Virginia will land mm-hmm. as we get there. Andy, I'm so excited for when we start having those conversations, by the way, 
in passing as we continue to move on. It's been a rough offseason for Michigan, Andy. They missed on Caleb Love because of admissions and how credits transfer. He's now at Arizona. Obviously, Hunter Dickinson pieced out and is now at Kansas. And then Jose Perez was set to visit Ann Arbor later this week. And he's like, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to stay in Morgantown. So, uh, man, uh, just just tough for Juwan Howard. Obviously, loses his son mm-hmm. and Kobe Bufkin to the draft. Mm-hmm. And so, man, we will see what the Wolverines are able to do in the Big Ten, another loaded conference next mm-hmm. year. Now, Andy, as we just said right there, Perez's decision was a bummer for Michigan, but also a school like Gonzaga, who was maybe looking in, as you said earlier, to bring in Perez. But you know what? Andy Patton, I don't have to say you know what, you already know this, thanks to Marcus Adams Jr. and his decision to transfer from Kansas, it seems like Mark Few's backcourt is going to be just fine. Thank you very much. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But first, this episode of Locked on College Basketball is brought to you by eBay Motors. I, my kids and wife and I just watched uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, like Wreck-It Ralph. And the whole thing is, I've never seen it before. It's all based around eBay. I love it. So how funny <laughs> to now talk about this. Because for a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. Because with eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, It's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, at the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Friends, thanks so much for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or watch every single day. we got another great week of shows coming up for you with Andy and I and some more of our great guests. Make sure you are tuning in. All right, Andy, we just teased it, but Marcus Adams becomes the second Kansas Jayhawk this offseason to decommit from Bill Self's team. He doesn't play his bench, I get it, and go elsewhere. In this case, Marcus Adams decides to land at Gonzaga. So Andy, obviously for those who don't know, you know, I know we don't talk about it often, but you're the host of Locked on Gonzaga. So this one uh, is something you've been talking about a lot in the past week. So let me just open the floor and let you go on Marcus Adams and what this commitment means for Mark Few's team this upcoming season. For starters, Marcus Adams made my job a lot more complicated by a announcing he was going into the portal, which at first was confusing because he's a incoming freshman, but he did have to go into the transfer portal. A very brief explanation on that because he started his five-year window by enrolling at Kansas. It meant that he had to transfer instead of just decommitting and recommitting to another school like you see a lot of uh, freshmen do around this time of year. In fact, we'll talk about that momentarily as well. Um, But so figuring that out, okay, he's going to transfer. That's a little bit different than we expected. He's going to have to apply for a waiver to play this upcoming season. And then it was reported that Gonzaga was interested. Then it was reported that he was going to take a visit. And then 
it was reported that he wasn't going to take a visit. <laughs> Very confusing. He, he reported himself, I am no longer going to visit Gonzaga. An announcement will come tomorrow. I don't know how anybody would interpret that as with the assumption that he was then going to announce that he's going to Gonzaga. I interpreted that as he is no longer going to go to Gonzaga. He's going to very poorly worded, very poorly worded, right? It was, it was an odd announcement. Then the next day, sure enough, he pops up with a Photoshop picture of him in a Gonzaga uniform and Oh, all right. It turns out he's coming to Spokane after all, a very exciting turn of events for Gonzaga fans. Uh, Unexpected in a lot of ways. Adams jr. Has, it's been a kind of a unique road for him. He he announced he was leaving Kansas and he was very forthright in media conversations at the Kansas City Star. He he talked about how he has nothing against Bill Self. He mentioned that it wasn't a playing time situation, which people are choosing not to believe that. And I understand why you would not believe that necessarily. He did reclassify to 2023. So it seems like you wouldn't reclassify unless you wanted to play. That is my assumption on that. But he goes to Gonzaga, where he's probably not going to play all that much in year one. There's still a question of what that waiver situation is going to look like. Uh, But Adams said that he wasn't getting along with his teammates, uh, which Kansas has one of the more polarizing players in college basketball. I will leave it at that. I know, Um, man. I Yes, thank you. Okay. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. But he said he wasn't getting along there. He didn't really like the the city. He kind of mentioned he's a city boy. He, He wants to play. Uh, he doesn't want to play in the country town. Uh, this forced a lot of people to look up the uh, demographics of Spokane because that interested a lot of people very suddenly when he decided to go to Gonzaga, which is understandable. Spokane is not uh, exactly the country, but it is not uh, Seattle, for example. Uh, regardless, he said that he got calls from players as soon as he you know, entered the portal and they were like, we would love to have you, like kind of made him feel welcome right away. Um led to him coming to Gonzaga. Again, I don't know what his role is going to look like in year one, if he's even going to have a role. But to me, where this becomes really valuable is you have a player now who it's more difficult for them to leave in the future. <laughs> it's a weird way that we talk about student athletes in the modern college basketball football landscape because the reason that Adams has more value to Gonzaga is effectively that he cannot leave as easily. That sounds weird. It's an odd statement to say out loud, but it is true because he has already transferred. He does not, he would have to apply for a waiver if he wanted to transfer again. And if he doesn't get that waiver, he would have to sit out a year. These kinds of players and I think about Arterio Morris, who transferred from Texas to Kansas. I think about Andrew Rice. Rice, who transferred yeah. from Kansas to NC State. I think about Kalel Ware from Oregon to Indiana. They become very valuable because you have them for two or three years, depending how long they stay in college basketball, which some of those guys probably won't stay for very long, but they're less of a risk to transfer. And for Gonzaga, they want Marcus Adams on their roster to be a developmental piece for the future. And among Gonzaga has been one of the best programs at developing talent behind the scenes. This has been an extraordinary gift that Mark Few and their staff have. Kelly Olynyk goes from a complete nobody for three years to an All-American. Like he's one of many, many examples of players who spend a year sitting out or a year behind the scenes who then kind of blossom into stars. Rui Hachimura did not play pretty much at all his freshman year, became an All-American. It's harder to do that if you think the players are at risk of leaving. And Gonzaga fans will point to Hunter Salas, a player that they felt would have mm. probably blossomed into that player this year, but is probably going to do it at Wake Forest. 
Yeah. And it is going to be painful for Gonzaga fans to watch yeah. him go average 19 yeah. a game and win or be an ACC first team player, which is very, very possible. But for Gonzaga, that's not a risk with Adams. Not as much of a risk. It still could happen. Right. But it's so less. Everything risk. happens now. because Exactly. Yeah. But I think for Gonzaga, like beyond all of that, beyond the, the metrics of, you know, his ability to leave the school, et cetera, et cetera. Marcus Adams Jr. is the kind of player that Gonzaga doesn't land all that often. For a school that recruits really well, most of Gonzaga's successful recruiting has been international, and their domestic recruiting that has been successful are often point guards or bigs. Jalen Suggs, Chet Holmgren, Zach Collins, Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas. Those are their five-star recruits. Like That's the list of five-star recruits, centers and point guards. Marcus Adams Jr. is a wing and is a, he's a big guard, hybrid two, three, maybe a little bit of small ball four. And that's like Julian Strother was kind of that, but he's kind of the only real option that Gonzaga has recruited out of high school, who is that kind of six, eight super athletic win. So for Gonzaga, this is not only a valuable player based on the rules of college basketball. It's also the kind of archetype they typically don't land and to get him and to get him in their development system and let him grow and blossom and become a guy who's really a key player for them as soon as maybe year two, really valuable. I'm very excited to see this. I would not expect to see very much of him at all as a freshman, again, depending on if he's even eligible, uh, but he's going to be a big player for this program in the near future. Well, man, it's, it's just so interesting. Like, like I'm Andy, I've just given up on trying to figure out the decisions these young men <laughs> are either going to make or have made or like assumptions that you we have typically held. And it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, there, there's no reason for me to get like mm-hmm. he could be like few might have promised him like, yeah, you know, like I, I can't promise you a starting spot, obviously, mm-hmm. or a certain amount of playing time, but. You could get 10 minutes or you could come and do what we've had multiple guys do, except right. you're the new, you know, like one of the, re- was it when Petrusev left? It's like, mm-hmm. it's okay. Cause we got this guy named Drew and he's going to yeah, be all right. Exactly. Um, right. Like, mm-hmm. and it, so it's like, if he can sell him on something like that, like mm-hmm. come pay some time. And then next year mm-hmm. you might be the dude because everywhere I look around when, when I think about positionless call or basketball, whether it's college mm-hmm. or NBA, it's like this type of player, like the six, yeah. eight small forward, power yeah. forward hybrid, like that's the dude. Mm-hmm. And so if he can be that kind of guy for Gonzaga, yeah. either now or in the next year mm-hmm. or two, that that's a weapon, as you said, Mark few hasn't had to utilize. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he can do that around guys that he typically has as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that could be a thing. Yeah, I, I think he's got a chance to be a really, really special player. And, and you know, developing alongside Dusty Stromer, who, you know, Gonzaga fans will hope obviously sticks around. I don't expect a huge role for him in year one, although them not getting Jose Perez potentially clears out a spot for, for Stromer to play a little bit more minutes. But uh, everybody on Gonzaga's roster, save Anton Watson, could in theory come back. They all won't. That's how college basketball works these days. But if Adams plays a small role this year and next year he's – already familiar with Ryan Nempard. He's already familiar with Nolan Hickman or Dusty Stromer, more comfortable with his teammates and his surroundings. Look out. Cause I think it could be a really dynamic season for Marcus Adams jr. As a sophomore, or even if it takes till he's a junior, I think he's going to be really, really special. Yeah. And like we kind of teased already, Isaac, he's the latest in kind of a, a growing group of 
incoming freshmen who are changing their minds and decommitting and recommitting and sometimes going professional and doing it all right before the start of the college basketball season. We're wondering if that's a fluke or is it the start of potentially a new trend in college basketball? We'll talk about that right after this. All right, folks, Isaac Shade, Andy Patton still here with you, Locked On College Basketball, closing out the show, talking about a trend we have seen growing this offseason in college basketball, a trend that we've determined is kind of a, a byproduct of sorts or a trickle-down effect of the transfer portal, and that is incoming freshmen not sticking with their commitments. And to be clear, this has happened historically. This is not brand new. It's uh, This happens every single year. It just felt like there's been an uptick of it happening later and later in the off season. Again, since we've already been talking a lot about Gonzaga, I'll mention Nolan Hickman who decommitted from Kentucky and then committed to Gonzaga before he started his college career. That happened in April, right? Like that's typically when you see. And we used to call that like, Oh boy, that's, that's so late in the game. (laughs) Yeah. And now it's like, I think everyone that we're going to talk about as an example here happened, almost all of them, if not all of them happened after April. I think a few happened in April, but there's a few that happened pretty recently. And it feels like it's just, a, a, I don't know, maybe it's because we're more plugged in. Maybe it's not as, as uncommon as we're thinking, but it definitely feels like a lot of high premier programs are losing players late in the offseason process because of the trickle down effect of the transfer portal and, and roster movement is just, it's not something that's done by late July as we're clearly seeing right now. Yeah. And it's funny, as I was thinking about us talking about this, I almost think about it as something like how social media has mm-hmm. amplified. We think about these things and it's like, man, it seems like there's been a sudden rash of yeah. whatever it is in the news. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's just that because of social media, yeah. it's now being amplified yeah. more. Or for example, my wife and I used to have a Ford Explorer Mm-hmm. And there were these models like in the early 2000s where the little hatch in the back, there's a crack right beside the Ford logo that kind of runs the length of it. And it's like, once you see it, you can't unsee it because it's on every Ford Explorer. <laughs> I apologize to our you, Andy, and our entire audience, because now that's all you will see on Ford Explorers. And You've so I wonder- Ford Explorers for everybody. <laughs> And so I wonder if there is some of that kind of, mm-hmm. as you said, phenomenon at play where it's mm-hmm. like, Maybe it's not that it's happening more nationally. It's just that we're seeing it more nationally because of the transfer portal and everyone's talking about it. So let me just, you you know, you mentioned, obviously we're talking about Marcus Adams. Here's just, Mm -hmm. I'll give us five other kind of high profile names. And obviously there's more, but Mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest was McKenzie Mbako, who decommitted from Duke and is now at Indiana with Kalel Ware, who you talked to. I mean, that's the Mm -hmm. thing is guys end up all over the place and sometimes together. Uh, just a couple miles down the road from Durham at in Chapel Hill, Simeon mm-hmm. Wilcher decommitted from North Carolina and is now staying close to home at St. John's. Mm-hmm. Ron Holland decommitted from Texas and instead of going to another college is going to the G League. Chris mm-hmm. Johnson, another Kansas guy. I mentioned there was two of them. He's the other one yeah. uh, and is now headed to Texas. It's all mm-hmm. cyclical. And then A.J. Johnson decommitted from Texas and is headed to the pro route, but not G League. He's heading down under. Yes. Is that, was that Australian? I don't know. I'm terrible yes. at accents. To the <laughs> NBL. And uh, forgive me, everyone, for butchering that. I'm seriously, I'm so bad at accents. Um, and so, Andy, I'm obviously, as I just said, there's there's going to be many more examples mm-hmm. than that. But I, those are some of the ones that have stood out to me. And they happen for a variety of 
of various reasons. Mm-hmm. Like, Andy, why did Kyle Filipowski? I just ruined the punch <laughs> ruin that one. joke. <laughs> why, why did Mackenzie and Baco, do you think, decide to leave Duke? Well, I knew beforehand, but I definitely know now. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Filipowski returning to school obviously <laughs> impacted Mbako's decision there. Yeah, 100%. And like those were, it, it was the morning of April 11th. Mm-hmm. Kyle Filipowski at like 9 a.m. announces he's coming back. And by noon, we already knew that McKenzie Mbako was asking out of his NLI. I mean, it's just, it's a thing. What, what else? Like, what are some of the others, Andy? That's what I was going to say. Like, with that one, like, that reasoning has felt like that's been around for a decent amount of time. Like that was the, losing Mbako. I mean, that's a big one. He's a really talented player. He was highly sought after when he finally, I guess I was going to say entered the portal, but when he became available again, really nice fit with him and Kalel Ware at Indiana, by the way, but that reasoning isn't as unusual. Like we've seen that historically, but the other, some of the other reasonings I think are a little bit more unique. Simeon Wilcher, uh, by all accounts, is leaving North Carolina in part in response to Elliot Cadeau, who reclassified from the 2024 class to 2023, is going to play right away for North Carolina. And reclassifications aren't brand new either, but they are more common. And so I think that that being a reason for somebody to depart is not something we've seen as much historically because it doesn't happen all that often because reclassifications are fairly rare. And then the professional guys, I mean, a big, I mean, that's just new because, you know, high school players going into the G League is relatively new and the NBL, uh, which has taken a lot of talented players, not just AJ Johnson, but Alex Tui, who decommitted from Gonzaga, goes to the NBL. That's the reason that they land Marcus Adams Jr. Like you said, it is all secular. It all kind of comes back around. So you have leagues like the NBL kind of starting to to take high school talent and, and be able to develop those guys. You have the G League doing the same thing. And so, like, those are relatively new reasons that you would see very solid high school players choose to not honor their commitments. So it's, there's, like we said, maybe we're just noticing them more because social media, but it's there's also more obvious reasoning that it might happen. And none of those examples were as specific as a late transfer getting added to a program causing a player to want out of their commitment, but that is happening as well. Like the Filipowski one wasn't a transfer, but if Duke had added a high profile front court transfer, it probably would have resulted in the same thing. And like there are, I'm sure there are people who are watching the show right now who are screaming at us about specific examples (laughs) from their program that we didn't list here. And yes, to, to those of you who are doing so, you are correct. There are definitely I was going to say that not thousands, hundreds, maybe not hundreds, but close to that amount of, of situations similar to this, where we have players who decided not to go where they initially planned to go because that school added a transfer at their same position. And I mean, it's one of those things where it's not a surprise that this is happening and it's understandable from each reasoning. I mean, I think certainly there are some fan bases who are maybe not super thrilled with their player making said decision, or in the case of Armando Baycott, not necessarily the fan base, just the specific player who tweeted running from the grind shortly after Simeon Wilcher made his announcement. I don't think that those things are unrelated. Um, (laughs) Regardless, it is one of those things that is until the transfer portal gets more regulated and there's some changes to maybe when timing of windows and, and such like that, this is probably going to be a byproduct that continues to happen. And when there are leagues like the NBL and the G League who can grab a guy and say, hey, you're maybe not going to play very much. We're suspecting that you're not going to play all that much. Come play for us. You know, come be the star on this new team that we're starting in the NBL. Guys are going to do that. And again, 
it's a free market. Like, why well, you know, there's no reason not to do that if you have that opportunity. So I don't really see this changing okay. until the NCAA makes any rules. And even then, depending what rulings do happen, which we know is not going to probably happen anytime soon, um, this is probably going to continue to be a, a byproduct of that. I mean, because coaches can do it whenever they want to. Why yeah, can't exactly. players, you know? Um, and so, and I think this is all part of why you see coaches not coming out like, why, why, right. how dare you, you know, do this? And it's like, no, because you, you would do the same thing if you mm -hmm. had an opportunity with more playing time or what, right. you know, in that case would be maybe more money or higher resources. Or whatever. Yeah. Also, I was laughing and, and I'll get us out after this. Uh, as you were counting down, like, I think there's been thousands, oh, maybe hundreds. And uh, all I could hear, uh, Andy, are you an Arrested Development guy? Did you watch that show? Yes, all I can hear is Tobias Funke saying, there's literally dozens of dozens. us. There's dozens of us. <laughs> that is probably the correct number, though. It is probably in the dozens. So that's, that's true. Oh, man, that's good. What a way to wrap up Monday's episode, folks. Thanks so much for joining us to kick off a new week of Locked on College Basketball. Man, always fun to get together. If you would, go follow the show on Twitter at Locked on CBB, Andy at Andy Patton CBB, and myself at Isaac Shade. I don't have any letters at the end. Uh, also, don't forget to subscribe, smash the like button, and comment on your show. We'd love to know your thoughts on West Virginia and Jose Perez's decision and all the Gonzaga stuff we just talked about and uh, why you think we're seeing so many guys decommit and recommit or go elsewhere. Want to say apologies to the lawyer family. Go Wildcats. And until tomorrow, peace.